0: Greetings, everyone. This is Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Please subscribe and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And also know that it is now available as a video podcast on YouTube. Starting with episode 56, it's video onward, but you can also listen to the audio portion right here. I hope you enjoy this latest episode. Hey everybody, it's Brian Reesman, host of Side Jams. This is episode number 57, featuring Buzz Osborne from the Melvins. This is the second video podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you see in here, click on that subscribe button down below, because there are more episodes coming. Now the Melvins are a very influential band on a lot of people in the metal and grunge world. They have a new two-disc acoustic set called Five Legged like Dog, in which they rework a lot of songs in their catalog, 54 in total, I believe. Now, this is not the sensitive James Taylor singer-songwriter version of the Melvins. They're still dark and brooding and moody and at times aggressive. Now, when Buzz is not on stage or in the studio making noise and making music, he loves photography, golfing, and comic books. And we're going to get into all of those things right now. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to chat.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: You know, I'm I'm enjoying the five-legged dog. You couldn't just do one acoustic this you had, to, you had to do four albums and mm-hmm. i'm newer to the Mel- melvin's universe but it's very obvious to me that like you didn't want to do we're going to do a soft kind of uh sensitive interpretation of material we're just going to see how heavy we can get <laughs> still in an acoustic yeah. format you know
1: yeah i mean uh um a long time ago i got turned on to this record probably 40 years ago mm-hmm. by a, a live record that pete townsend was a part of the guitar player from the who yeah yeah He did um, three songs he did uh, on acoustic. He did Won't Get Fooled Again, Pimbo Wizard, and Drown. Mm. And it was then, because I was such a big fan of them, I got that record and I listened to that acoustic, his acoustic versions, and they were just as powerful as the band would have been. And I realized that the songs are good no matter what, no matter how you do it. And I never lost that idea through um, this record, and I did two solo acoustic records with that in mind and always wanted to, but Him and uh, probably Pete Townsend and Bob Dylan, Mm -hmm. solo acoustic, especially the early 60s stuff or the mid-60s stuff, like um, It's All Right, Mom, Only Bleeding, just show how heavy you can do. or a lot of blues artists as well, how heavy you can do stuff like that. And uh, it doesn't really make much difference if the songs are good. So I thought out of all of our catalog, there's a lot of songs that we could probably do like that and make it work. And the guys I play with are really good musicians and, yeah yeah just let them do their job
0: well i think yeah. the interesting thing is that it's you i mean you've mentioned that you've recorded you started writing a lot of these songs on acoustic guitar
1: always have yeah acoustic yeah. and, and uh, a good electric guitar played acoustically
0: yeah but i mean i think that's and that's the key to good music is is coming up with something that will you know that'll work in different formats i mean obviously it's interesting i remember years i think there's someone on youtube who commented you know back in the late 90s someone said we should have a Joke: We should have a Melvin's Acoustic record, and then it only took 25 years. And then I remember in the early to mid 90s, that one critic said, "What we really want to hear is a Motorhead unplugged album." Um, I mean, you guys both have old school influences. Your amoeba video, where you and and the guys, you know, and there you go you go and you saw everything that you bought. You guys are are, are old school. I mean, you like new well, yeah, stuff. as
1: well as new school. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, I like about as many new bands as I ever did, which is not many. Yeah. You know? but you appreciate
0: Um, things like the Rolling Stones and you're not afraid to say that. Whereas like some fans might be like, Oh, whatever. You're like, no, really dude. It's good.
1: I'm not an ageist when it comes to music, you know, it's either good or bad. Um, when I was in high school, um, bands like the stones and Hendrix and the who Mm -hmm. were not of my generation, just like Pete Townsend said, you know, but, uh, uh, I loved it nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's always think it's silly when, um, people will write off, you know, like young people, they just don't listen to this. It's like, that's just not true. Not all young people are that stupid. A lot of them are, you know?
0: So now, you know, obviously with side jams, I I talk about, I talk about the music being, I also talk about people's passions. They're outside hobbies. And uh, Monica was telling me you're a big, you're a big golfer.
1: Yeah. I love playing golf. I also love uh, photography. Oh, right on.
0: Yeah. That's a popular one too. I mean, like uh, what attracted you to the sport?
1: Um, Some guys that I knew were playing golf, um, rock and rollers, Mm -hmm. people um, more on the hipster level. Um, Not people I hung out with a lot, but I knew them enough to go. When they asked me, um, do you want to go try playing golf? I was like, oh, okay. That sounds fun. I think I played it once or twice in high school when I was drunk. And then I played with this um, friend of mine given me this ancient set of clubs that looked like they came over on the mayflower (laughs) and um um so i had those clubs just gathering dust in the garage and uh um these guys asked me and i said okay and i went to this little tiny course it's not too far from where i live in la and uh it's like a par three course nine holes right and i played with them and i was like you know, this is kind of fun. And, um, so then I continued playing there and, uh, um, within a couple of weeks I was playing way better than they were. And I was looking at a lot of stuff on YouTube about how to, how to do it. And, um, what I realized was that this was not going to be an easy thing to do right? at all. And I was up for the challenge as far as that's concerned. So within a couple of weeks, I was playing way better than they were, and within a couple of months, (laughs) all of them had quit playing, except for one guy who I still like. Fifteen years later, still play with once in a while. Who is about the same level he was when we started? Because he just never took it seriously.
0: So, so were they? Were they just? They just wore that into it. Were they discouraged by your mastery of the sport so early? (laughs) Well.
1: It's it's by degrees. It's like I, it didn't take much to be better than them, yeah. you know. Uh, but it's not easy, and so you know, within a couple of months, people just if they don't get good at it right away, it's sort of like guitar playing. Yeah, people they if they don't get good at it within the first couple of months, they just put the guitar down. Most people just put the guitar down at the end of it. And they may yeah. play fuck around it a little bit, but in order to get good at anything that's as hard as guitar playing or or uh, um, um, playing golf, you have to put a lot of time in it. There's just no way. So I view golf as a, a massive hobby of mine Sure. that I'm super into. It, it, and, and as a musician who are people of the great indoors, generally speaking, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a great <laughs> thing for me to do. It gets me outside on a big course. It's about a four or five mile walk. It's uh, basically in a nice park to some degree. And uh, it gets me out of my head and into this thing obsessively sure that uh takes me completely into a whole new world that i can put my uh intense never stopping brain uh towards you know and and at this point um i'm like a single digit handicap so as far as golf is concerned which is difficult to do i don't know how much you know about golf
0: Although a little bit, I was looking a uh, re- revisiting a lot of the terminology. You know, I was always one of those guys that did goofy golf, you know, <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. golf, which probably drives yeah, yeah. real golfers up a wall. I know. It's,
1: it's, 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 fun to some degree. I mean, I don't know that I would pursue it. Golf is hard enough as it is. Oh yeah. No. When I was a kid,
0: um, when I was a kid. I did little league. I did baseball three yeah. summers in a row. I did soccer one semester in high school, but I didn't like constantly being kicked in the shins. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I'd, I, I would play tennis or volleyball, stuff like that um, as I got older. But then again, as a writer, it's like what you're talking about musicians. I became like that guy that, uh, you know, does a lot of stuff indoors. You go to screenings, you go to shows. During quarantine, yeah. I, I was able to adjust pretty well for the first, probably throughout 2020. Then it started to get weird even for me. Um, did, you, did you golf at all during, actually during the- Golf through the whole thing.
1: As soon as I opened the courses up back in LA, I never stopped. I'm usually going on tour- Doing 80 to 120 shows a year.
0: Yeah. And so
1: during that time I don't golf at all. And this time I didn't have that. So I'm playing the best golf I've ever played by far, you know, as far as as far as like my game goes. Yeah. And now I'm at a level where I play in tournaments and all kinds of things like that with a bunch of squares. (laughs) People people who are not from the music world at all. And I've made lots of friends friends in the golf world that have nothing to do with music at all. And we have what we have in common is an intense love of golf. And people, they have this idea that, oh, it's it's, this country club assholes. And it's like, okay, if I'm doing do do I look like a country club asshole or that I want to be a country club asshole and that I could mix easily with these people? I hate them every bit as much as anyone does outside of that i want nothing to do with them the only thing that's good about a country club is their golf courses but the people that are there and the vibe i want nothing to do with yeah yeah i'm a public course muni course guy and i will live that i'll be fine with that the rest of my life i I have no interest in rubbing elbows with those fucking jerks and um nor do i want to try to pursue that in any way so people need to understand that um golf is a single person sport. It's like you win or lose as a result of your own ability, not a team sport. Right, right. And you have to win. That means you have to finish. It's, it's not like you can run the clock out on this or throw a dice and it happens to come up all sixes or whatever. You win. Wow. you won. No, you have to finish. It doesn't matter if you're having the round of your life by hole 17. If you don't finish hole 18 under those circumstances, and then that doesn't really make any difference. It's sort of like baseball or tennis. Tennis is a team sport. But baseball, you have to win. You didn't lose because you didn't have the same opportunity as the other team. Yeah, yeah. You lost because you you just couldn't do it. Golf, you lost because you couldn't do it, not because you didn't have an opportunity. B- uh, tennis, you lose because you didn't you know you had exact opportunities as the other guy did, and it didn't work out. Now, I, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing I, I've always loved sports. What I didn't like was the people who played sports.
0: You know, I say that too, it's like I, I sports culture kind of turning off to a lot of sports. Like I'm not obsessively yeah. watching sports. It's funny that my girlfriend will say, yeah, we don't watch sports together, but except when we go to like a bar or a restaurant, we're sitting at the bar and then you start All watching right. football on TV and you can't, it's like, it's funny. Cause I, I don't pay attention, but then when want, the game is there, I start watching it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Baseball's
1: at one. I like the non-clock sports personally, I like baseball. Yeah. yeah. That I can watch, but the clock sports. I don't like the clock as a weapon. I don't like it as a strategy.
0: Oh, that's interesting. It bothers me in like, golf, of course. well, the only clock you have is the people behind you waiting for you to take your shot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? and so you know,
1: you, there's there's rules about that too. Yeah, like in a place where I play tournaments, you have to you, your your group has to finish within 20 minutes of the group ahead of you, or you get penalized.
0: That's interesting.
1: You know, so you have to you have to keep and uh, just basic ethics on a golf course. You should keep. You should try to stay one stroke ahead of the group behind you and one stroke behind the group ahead of you. That's what you should try to do. You should be aware of that. I'm often mystified by people on a golf course who are or even driving who are not aware of anything that's going on around them mm. and I often think what sort of parents did you have you know <laughs> <You're totally laughs> they should have been unaware. thinking about
0: your future in golf <laughs> yeah, while driving to the
1: golf course you're totally unaware of what's going on while you're on the golf course you're totally unaware of what's going on. It, it's it's fascinating to me that you can be that it's it's my world and everyone else is just is just uh uh, i don't care about
0: yeah yeah it's
1: it's unbelievable i'm never like that when i'm on the course i have good course course ethics and watch out and i want to play the sport in a way that is as high a level as i can obviously i'm not anywhere near pro but to get to a single digit handicap is difficult for for any golfer any golfer that can shoot under 100 is doing much better than most of them and if you can shoot in the 80s you're doing way better than most of them. And if you can shoot a lot of rounds in the 70s, you're doing tremendously better, but you're still not on a pro level. What's know?
0: the best uh, score you've ever gotten on a course? 74. 74.
1: On a 72 course, yeah. So that's
0: pretty good. When did you start playing tournaments and which tournaments have you played?
1: I played tournaments in, a, uh, in Los Angeles mm-hmm. in like mm-hmm. a golf club that has three or, three or 400 guys in it. And okay. the tournaments are usually 70 to 120 guys. And so you play to your handicap. And uh, the last one I played in, I got second. So
2: nice. Not too
1: bad. Not too bad. So um, I like, and you're playing PGA rules. It's not slosh golf or, you know, mulligans or, you know, do overs. It's none of that. You're playing just the same rules as Tiger Woods would play in a tournament. And, and so to go out there and and do it on that level and, and uh, happily place in, in the top three, which I've done lots and lots of times, not every time, but lots and lots of times, is far more than I could have imagined I would have been able to do when I first started. So I feel comfortable on any golf course, playing with anyone under any circumstances, which is far more than I would have ever thought. When I originally started, it was just gonna be a fun thing to do, and now I've moved way beyond that. I mean, golf to me is fun. I like all the aspects of it, putting, chipping, all of it. I like all of it, I think it's all important. I don't find any part of golf to be easy to do. And I feel very, 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 very satisfied when I do well doing it. It feels like a massive accomplishment mentally and physically, as far as that's concerned. And, um, uh, the mental aspect of it, just like anything else is, I think is a massively important thing. And people don't really take that seriously, but I think it's, it, 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 it I walk off a golf course far more relaxed than when I walk onto it. You have to be, or it's yeah. not going to work. I think it's a really good thing to do. I think people should take it seriously and go out there and play as good as you can. You know, It's not a social event for me. Not at all. I play a really odd way. I have a really odd way of playing golf.
0: Which is, which is um, what? Excuse me? Which is what? Like, how is it odd?
1: Normally, you carry 14 clubs. I carry 9 Mm-hmm. I have a weird way of playing in that I dumb it down on a lot of ways that people that don't, they wouldn't really teach you to do sort of akin to the way uh, Jimi Hendrix is considered the best guitar player, but in a lot of, a lot of areas, but there isn't one single thing that he does guitar playing wise that any teacher would ever teach you because it's so outside the box, it's Interesting. If, but, but he's the best, you know, but no one would ever teach you to do it the way he does, which to me is insane it's like if he's the best when you teach people to play the way he plays, but that, they're too conservative. Golfers are too conservative. Guitar players are some of the most conservative people on the face of the planet. They're, you try to get them to do something left or center, you're out that's just not going to happen.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. It, makes no, it never made any sense to me. I never understood uh-huh. it. By and large, I never took guitar lessons. I never really took golfing lessons either, and, and so far so good you
0: know. <laughs> now there's a term that I looked up, explosion shot in golf. I guess that's when you're stuck in a sand oh, explosion shot, yeah. yeah. What's, what's the craziest shot you've had to take on a golf course?
1: Oh, name it, you know, under a tree with, in mud. just crazy, thing, weirdest things you can imagine. You just do your best. There's books written about that stuff, you know, there's what? about how to get out of trouble. Books, a whole book's written about how to get out of trouble. <laughs> and you have to practice that to some degree and you just realize what will work. Mm-hmm. The best thing it's like uh, is is like if you're in trouble, the next shot, no matter what it is, should be designed to get you out of trouble. Doesn't mean it's gonna be, you know, advancing towards the green on a three hundred year shot. It doesn't mean any of that. It means get yourself out of this trouble that you're in, no matter what. That's the thing, and a lot of people don't want to look at it that way. I got to try to hit it between these trees as far forward as I can. Well, maybe. But maybe the best thing for you to do is to get yourself out of this mess. It's like if you're in a bunker, the main objective is to get it out of the bunker. No yeah. matter what, no matter how you have to do it, just get it out. It doesn't matter. So when you start thinking along those lines, you're going to have an easier time, an easier go of it.
0: What's, what's your favorite club?
1: Uh, golf club? Yeah. Uh, my wedge, probably. Yeah. Wedge is for short shots. That's the one I use the most, Probably. I don't even, it's a pitching wedge. I use it for everything. All right. Every, every short shot. I only carry two wedges, which is really odd. Most people have a lot of them. One's higher loft than the other one. And, uh, but, the, but, but, but uh, I have an odd way of approaching all of that stuff too. Most of which,
2: mm.
1: even if people see the results, they don't believe it because it's too out, outside the box for them. Same with putting and all those kinds of things. I have my own weird way of doing all that and it's successful. It's nothing anyone would ever teach. That's for sure, because it looks odd.
0: I'm sensing an instructional video the King Buzzo way. (laughs) No, the thing is, is is I have
1: shown people. You know, oh, you're amazing chipping. Your chipping is amazing. Your putting is really good. And when you show them what you do, they don't want to do it. They don't believe it. Is it like just an they odd just posture
0: don't. or is they just feel it's too much work? What's, what's their, what's their no, deal? It's,
1: it's less work. It's far <laughs> less work. <laughs> really? They just can't get outside this idea that the way they have to do it is the way Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or any of these, that's how they do it. Jack. That's that's I remember him it's like, what yeah. is the point of golf? It's scoring the lowest score you can. It doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. it's like you want to get the ball closer to the hole so you can put it in easier that's it the rest of it is just it's immaterial how you do that
0: so so you break the rules of music and break the rules of golf do you break the rules of, photo- of photography as well
1: yeah all the time um um <laughs> photography has been a passion of mine since i was a teenager and mm. um but Long before digital, because I'm 57, so digital didn't come in till, you know, really in a big way, the photography till the 90s, pretty much. Yeah. And, um, Even the
0: 2000s is when it got more sophisticated, too. It really right. got cameras.
1: Right. But uh, um, earlier, um, I couldn't afford film and developing stuff. And I certainly wasn't going to have my own darkroom or anything like that. And
0: people don't remember that. That's what we did. I did that in film school. Yes. My dad did it as a hobby. I mean, it's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. And I just never had to, I loved it as much as I loved it. It was just like, great, you know, I can buy a Rolaflex camera that I can never get film developed and I can never get, never buy film for it. Never. um, But when digital came in is really when I put all of my uh, aspects of photography that I loved and really put that to good use because um, now I can take as many pictures as I want and stand there and look at it right now. You know, how's it look? How's it look? How's it look? Now, I I don't have to sit there and do a whole bunch of, uh, where I I used to have to take a picture of something in five different ways, in five different settings to try to figure out if it was going to work or not. Yeah, yeah. No more. Now I can sit there and nail that thing exactly how I want it and uh, walk away. I'm definitely a street photographer. I don't think I would do really well in a studio, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did um, take the cover, uh, about a year ago, take the cover of Revolver, a picture of Mike Patton. Nice. So they let me do that. So it kind of proved that I could do that, which is nice. That was outside, though. But um, street photography is my thing. I have an Instagram account, Real King RealKingBuzzo, um, that's solely just me showing off my photography. That's it. Uh, no pictures of me, no selfies, no pictures of me with, you know, um, uh, drunk celebrities or anything like that. It's just pictures that I take. That's it. what are your favorite uh,
0: types of pictures to take?
1: Oh, it depends. You know, street photography to me is you're constantly looking for something that would take that would be a good picture. It doesn't matter what it is.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm constantly looking for it. An angle on it that's funny or that I think is beautiful or weird, something. And I'm constantly looking for that stuff. I just can't help it constantly it doesn't matter if it's with my like regular cameras or with my phone mm-hmm. and iPhones take unbelievable pictures far far beyond what people imagine because you know if you talk to I, I know plenty of people that are, make their living taking pictures sure and, see
0: me too yeah yeah
1: you talk to them and I go well how much difference would it have made for Man Ray if he had the equipment that they have now and they go minimally it wouldn't have mattered I mean he could take a good picture with any camera right because he's a good photographer the, the equipment matters very little. It's like you know Jimi Hendrix with the shittiest guitar out, out of the Wards catalog, you know, would have still been way better than you or me. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered what guitar he was playing. So you put the put put an iPhone in the hands of Man Ray or any of those people back then, they're going to take fantastically amazing pictures with it because they're fantastically amazing photographers. People get so hung up on how did you take, what kind of camera did you, how did you take? It's the eye. It's the Indian, not the arrow.
0: You started off with film and an old school way of working. How do the two compare for you? Do you prefer one or the other? Do you like both? Digital. Hmm. I prefer it. Like like using Photoshop or are you more of somebody who just likes to take the photos and just tweak? I'm not good at Photoshop.
1: I'm not good at it, but it's like your dad, you know, in the dark, dark room manipulating pictures and people now have this thing. Well, I didn't use a filter. It's like photographers have always used filters. They've always used manipulation yeah, whether yeah. It's in the dark room or, or photo uh, uh, retouching. That's nothing new, nothing new, cropping it, editing it, all these different things that you can do. I mean, in, in yeah. the dark room, you could, you could focus in on one area of the camera of the of picture and then have that be far brighter than it. There's a million things you could do. All these things yeah. are, the things that you can do with filters, quote unquote, like on an iPad, are the same things they've been doing. The, they just take off some what they've always done in the darkroom.
0: Yeah, I mean, for you, so for you with photography, uh, it sounds like you're sort of a shoot from the hip kind of guy. Like you just try to find, you just try to capture things in the moment.
1: Try to, and then, you know, there's some things where I'll go, I know there's a good picture here. I have to get it. I have to make it work. And, and um, But I'm not one to take 500 pictures and then try to pick out the best ones. I'll edit it right there. Hmm. delete 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 that's the two i want oh that's
0: interesting so you and don't keep, I keep it keep so i have a huge backlog of all these photos i've taken over the years on trips you know I I like a thousand them. photos per trip and i'm like wow that's a lot of stuff
1: but i don't want them you know i just don't want them it has to it has to speak to me or it means nothing to me
0: so you're spontaneous but then right afterwards you're very decisive about what it is that you like
1: absolutely or i'll take five pictures and and, and look at them later and delete four of them you know those don't speak to me. Art, art is communication. That's what it is. Hmm. It doesn't communicate something. Unless you're just trying to take a picture of, you know, here's a picture of my mom and my brother together. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be a good picture. It's just, it's enough to just look at them and be, you know, wonder, you know, be happy that there's a great picture of them that you can remember forever. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And I think the cameras are great for those kinds of memory things. And I do that as well. But if I'm taking a picture that I want to use, it's more of an artistic level, then it has to communicate something. If it doesn't communicate anything to me, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. But I have a couple of pictures here, though. Um, let me see. Let me see where they are. Um, I have them here somewhere. Here they are. Um, um, that I really like. Here's one of our drummer I took in New Orleans. One.
0: That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. That's in New Orleans. Looks like, he, looks like he's uh, talking to someone preparing for some sort of secret mission.
1: He's talking on the phone. That's right. That's a good one. <laughs> um, here's one I took of Jeff Pincus. He's smoking weed with a Betty Ford clinic shirt on.
0: Excellent. Oh, Your <laughs> wry sense of humor there, Buzz. <laughs> Gotta love that.
1: Gotta love that. Let's see. Um, uh, here's one I took of the singer from uh, uh, La Butcherette. That's a really good one. All right on. That was with an iPhone, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, you know, the quality, I mean, I, I, right now I have a Galaxy and I need to upgrade. And I'm thinking, I, even though I'm not an Apple guy, I'm going to have to probably switch over because the quality is better on iPhones, I think. A lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. That's when I took
1: flying over the Indian Ocean.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: So it's lots of stuff like that. It's just whatever, whatever happens, you know. Are there, but, what,
0: are there any images that time. you're most proud of? Is there something on your Instagram account now that you really, that you really love, that, you, that you're that you very proud of?
1: Oh, nothing, nothing in particular. I mean, I suppose I could bring it up, hold on. Let me look. I'll bring it up really quick and then see if there's something recently. I think I have about 500 pictures, but I have only had it for a couple of years so uh, oh i like this one this one's really good it's a picture i took at the. i I don't know if you can see it it's a took higher at a uh i probably can't see it very good but it's interesting yeah picture i took of a bunch of fish oh that looks
0: like fish okay it comes out yeah it's black and white
1: yeah i like black and white best it's a
0: little it feels like like, like it's a little overexposed to like purposely like
1: oh it has to be to blow it out like that and then um this was really good. I took it in Arizona.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the next so frontier for Amazon to go into is that. <laughs>
1: and Amazon Motel. I think it might be different than that. And then there's no, a I really know. good one here. I took, a, I
0: took one of our dogs. It's a good one. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You have, fun anyways, you, have, you, feel- you have
1: fun with it. By the way, so what are you shooting with? Uh, I, I have uh, um, uh, uh, two Leica cameras, the cheapest
0: ones, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Those, those are expensive E-Lox. cameras, too. They're very, they're very high end. Those are about
1: eight hundred bucks a piece. Yeah. You know? Um, C Lux and Deluxe. Those are the ones I take the most. I didn't want anything that was um, uh, um, big. Mm-hmm. I don't want a camera that I have to change lenses on. At all. Okay. So both of them are zoom. Um, I don't want uh anything I can't really fit in my pocket. But I don't. I wanted it to be a little better quality than or easier to use than a uh, one of the normal digital ones. You know? Yeah. And these ones, I just think that they're really great, and I use them all the time, and they're great cameras. And I don't, I don't want some gigantic camera. It always feels obtrusive to me. Yeah. I'm worried about it. I don't, you know, I'm not worried about going and taking a, you know, close up picture of a, a, a of a silverback gorilla from 900 yards away. i no, That's not me, you know. Or you or a close up <laughs> of a picture from Dodger Stadium, you know, 900. You know, I just that's not me either, you know. It's it's like uh, anything that I can't take a picture of with this, the way that I have it. The equipment that I have, I'm not worried about. There's plenty of stuff for me to take pictures of that, uh, um, that I'm not, uh, that, that are fine with those cameras, like, like this a big bucket of fish heads, you know. Oh, there we go, Yeah, bucket of fish heads. That's that just the simplest stuff, you know. You can find Sounds stuff like, like, like a that Melvin's album title, either. too,
0: coming up. What was <laughs> that? Okay, Melvin's album title, Bucket of Fish Heads.
1: <laughs> so it certainly could be, you know, but that kind of stuff it, it has to speak to me, and, and I'll take pictures on tour, right? especially when I go on tour take pictures all the time. And then the pictures of your bandmates
0: Oh, tons. Do you, do you tons, ever do it? Tons. Do I ever do it live? Like just whip out the camera for the hell of it. Oh, no, no, never.
1: <laughs> no, I have too much other things going on when we're playing live. Um, but uh, uh, I take pictures of those guys all the time, tons and tons of pictures. And it's just, they're good sports. Stand well, right here. Stand right here. I got a good well, I, I meant here. like if you, if you put out, if you put
0: on a timer, like Stuart Copeland did uh, a great documentary about the early, about the police, and he took a lot I saw of, that. It was great. Like he had a camera right behind his kit, right on stage. You got like a very different perspective of the band playing live. It was great that he documented yeah. that. Actually, yeah. Have you ever tried doing so that, that at all?
1: That's not the one. Uh, the Andy Summers one or the Stuart? Cop- Copeland That's the Stuart one.
0: Copeland one that came out a oh. year or two ago. Did you see the
1: Andy Summers one?
0: No, I haven't. I just interviewed him recently too for this podcast. So.
1: He's a huge photographer too.
0: Yeah, I talked to him about his fiction writing. Actually,
1: oh, I haven't read that. that but his, yeah, his the documentary he did was, or he did was, it was called uh, um, "Surviving the Police," I think. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: so, I his, tons of stuff about him taking pictures in there, which is originally what got me interested in them because I, I was, I always liked their stuff yeah, a yeah. great deal, but uh, I had no idea he was a photographer. And then I found that out. I, I got to watch this documentary, and then it's it's really good, really good how he did it. But I have to look. Uh, I, the, 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 it's interesting though. What kind of stuff the cameras can do? I mean, everybody has a camera now, and there's cameras everywhere, um, but not everybody's a good photographer. It's like well, this that's... friend of mine. He goes, he goes, I've taken the a picture of the exact same thing as you have at the exact same moment, and mine's not as good.
0: It was like, you shoot digital with yep. Leica, and then have you? What were you shooting film-wise uh, prior to that?
1: Uh, oh, whatever I could afford. Yeah.
0: Were you like a Nikon so I, or can I mean, these days it's like Nikon. I had a Nikon is,
1: when I first started. I bought a really, really, I bought a Nikon that didn't have a light meter in it to start with.
0: Oh, interesting. You know, so you really whatever. had to, you had to guess. You had to get a lot of guesswork.
1: I didn't have a light meter. So yeah. I learned all about how to um, uh, shoot into the light, shoot, you know, burn it with the light really good. Yeah, yeah. Tons of stuff like that. Lots of bad pictures didn't come out. You don't know for a couple of weeks until you get the pictures back. Which irritates the shit out of me. And you have know? you ever
0: done an exhibition of your photography? Or would no, you like, never. Or would you like to?
1: It's just I would like to. Just in the last couple of years is when I finally first time I ever really showed anybody was just on, on Instagram like a couple of years ago. That's it. I yeah. never had a I never had a social media account before that. It's the only one I've ever had, and it was solely with that. And I've gotten a good response from people. And so um, it's not band oriented, even though it's I sometimes show the band yeah. members I take pictures of, but it's not a vehicle for me to sell you know, our new show coming up or a new album. That's not, that's not what it's about. And uh, um, which is fine. I mean, I, I think that's fine. We have a Melvin's account that that happens on. Sure. Um, but I would love to do that. I've, I've got a book that I put together a photography book that mm-hmm. uh, um, um, I'm just, we're just waiting to print it. You know, so.
0: Who's going to put it out? going to be self-published.
1: Probably the first ones will be. We'll, we'll take it from there. there. That's mm-hmm. cool.
0: And by the way, so you have, you have Batman and Superman on the wall back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a comic book fan also, or are you just a fan of their
1: I do like comic books?
0: Are there any any things that you like to collect or read? Comic I collect
1: um, CGC graded comics.
0: I wanna I want to know what the deal with that is. That's, that's like a, become a big thing where comics I never thought would be worth a hundred dollars are slabbed and suddenly how did what what got you into that and why what how do people justify it? Because I mean, how much does it cost, first of all, to even get your comic graded?
1: Well, I usually buy them already graded. Oh, okay. You know. I don't buy, I don't I've gotten a few slabbed, but I don't have good luck with that. I'd rather just go, you know, and and, and go, this is it, you know, eight point zero.
0: Right. You know,
1: okay, that's what it is. Now it doesn't tell you what it's worth, but it tells you what great what condition the book's
0: in. way well, then you look it up, yeah, yeah.
1: And then you can figure out between you and the seller what you want to sell it, what you, what you want to buy it for, which I like. And a lot of people will be like, well, these aren't right. Okay, if it's not right, then sell it to me as a five. <laughs> you
0: know? So I guess the thing for me, like I, I buy stuff. I buy it for I buy it to read it. So I buy readable condition a lot of times. I don't go for the the very fine or near mint and stuff. So what's the appeal for you for the CGC stuff? Is it just is it an investment?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, um, I like the idea of having a Stan Lee signed, you know, Hulk one eighty one. Okay, well that I know, get. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> that I like. That's probably my favorite thing I have in my collection. Nice. And the idea of opening that book and reading it seems well, absolutely ridiculous.
0: So you like you like very collect very collectible. I mean that's a one that's a, like a, a rare thing to have something right. like that. So that's it. What are the, which other comics do you? Have? Which are the CGC graded comics like?
1: Well, I have a bunch. Um, it depends on what what I'm looking for. Um, lots of lots of you know uh, um, key issue ones. I mean lots of them. Um, I uh, the, the best thing I got was right before Stan Lee died. Mm-hmm. A guy from CGC was at his house. And I got him to sign, if you send it to him, he would sign anything. And because CTC has to be there for it to be certified, signed by. Okay. They have have to be in the presence. They won't just say, if you send in, oh, this is signed by Stan Lee. They won't just, if you can't prove it, then it's not. Okay. So I got like 25 books signed by him and graded. Wow. Right before he died. One of which is X-Men 2, you know, signed by him <laughs> yeah, so stuff like that, you know. So it's, it's like that would that there's no more of those, you know, and that's it. That's it for Stan Lee signing books. And before that, people were were like, "Well, it's kind of ruining the comic." Like, oh, you're, you're you're out of your mind, you know. This is well, Stan Lee, well, signing, it's, it's like getting oh, Babe Ruth to sign it. You you gonna say Babe Ruth shouldn't sign a baseball card because it's gonna ruin the card? Oh, it makes
0: Sorry. it incredibly valuable. So what what stuff do you actually like to read? Do you write any newer stuff, uh, classic stuff? Um,
1: I read lots of other stuff, you know. Um, I'm not super interested in new comic books. Right. Um, uh, some, I'll collect some of the newer stuff, but uh, mostly with the comics, if I want it, it's already going to be graded. and It's something along those lines. I'm buying the graded thing itself for fun yeah. and collecting them like that, like okay. Mad Number One, stuff like that. Yeah. I want it slabbed you know and and or my favorite mad issue you know halloween issue with you know done by kelly free slabbed i want i want that
0: yeah yeah i don't
1: want to open this book it's like to me it's like do i want to touch you know king Tut's? uh, uh mummy no <laughs> i'm okay look at it just look at it uh, you know it's like to me these are just these are artifacts that are sealed in time and they will remain that way until someone cracks them open or they get you know burned up in a fire and i i, I uh, uh that's what that's what attracts me to it uh, probably my favorite ones to read are the ec you know the um vault of horror you know Tales Tales from the the crypt. crypt yeah yeah
0: those yeah my favorites but
1: i have all those i have all those in uh, book form you
0: know? well, also so funny hardback book form. Funny, funny story is the guy that started reprinting those, I think the late 70s, early 80s, Russ Cochran, was the valedictorian on my father's graduating cra- huh. class at the University of Missouri Rolla School of Mines. Nice, <laughs> so he was going to go into geology and instead made a ton of money on comic books,
1: yeah, which is, fa-
0: which is fantastic, actually. You know, that's great.
1: This seems my favorite, probably. I,
0: I yeah. love that stuff. And I love the fact that Creep Show, yeah, the Creep Show brought that sort of back great. in movie form. And then the you got this, years later, you got the series on HBO. And there um, a lot of the 50s horror stuff was really transgressive. I mean, that stuff was yeah, yeah. gory. There was a little bit of sexual content, some drug use. And it was a book called The Ten Cent Plague, which is all about how essentially by 1954, 55, all those comics were not banned, but the comic book industry had to create the, the comics code and they had to self censor they had to get all. rid of all mad magazine mad and panic were two of the only things that survived the ec all the crime and war and horror comics had to go they had um, to go and it's amazing no, no, they're
1: totally moral
0: yeah, totally all moral.
1: The EC comics are all moral
0: they have oh. a moral ending oh you no know? they're like they're all, a lot of them are like O. henry stories that are really dark and effed up i mean that's they are but the,
1: in the end the bad guy usually gets it
0: well there you go well cool thank you thank you, well, thank it was you. really fun to chat thanks for having me and uh yeah, and hopefully uh, we'll chat again soon at some point. That wraps up this latest installment of Side Jams. Please join me for the next episode, which will feature Midge Your of Ultravox fame. The new theme song for Side Jams is Rookie of the Year by Bobo Rentley, and I licensed it through SoundStrike. Thank you very much for listening and your support.